guys, in today's episode of the Fancy Scientist podcast, we are talking about a really important topic, and that is mentors. Mentors are so, so important in science. If you are a graduate student, you have an advisor, which serves as your mentor. And if you're an undergraduate or looking to get into this career, you should definitely get some experience and therefore your boss or the professor that you're working with in a lab is your mentor. If you've listened to my past episodes, How Science is Conducted, it's really a process. It's not memorizing facts. It's um, not memorizing concepts or species names. It's really understanding the process. So in order to do that, you need mentors. So today's episode, we're going to talk all about what makes a good mentor. I am going to look back on some of my favorite mentors and tease apart the things that that I found have really helped me and also I'm going to pull upon some of my experiences from serving as a mentor too. So we're going to talk about what to look for in a mentor and at the end if you are a mentor how you can be a good one. Now, if you are not a scientist or not interested in this career at all, this is still a great episode to listen to because mentors can help you in so many different parts of your life. So I actually have two different coaches. I have a coach for my body. I accidentally got a personal trainer. And I also have a coach for um, my business. And both of those people have helped me immensely. I'll tell you the story of how I accidentally got a personal trainer after we run the intro. But mentors just really help you level up in life and I am never going back. I am never going to do something just completely on my own when having a mentor can accelerate that process. Okay, so let's get into the intro music and then we'll talk about mentors more in depth. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. Okay, we are going to start talking about mentorship in science. As mentioned in the intro, mentorship is super important. This is how you learn science. Even if you're not in a scientific career, though, mentors are really important because there's only so much that you can learn on your own in a book or in a book. (laughs) We live in this great age right now, or I should say online. We live in this great age right now where you can learn how to do anything by just googling it searching on YouTube but that can take you that can take you far but it can only take you so far and really a mentor is what you want to be able to get the results that you desire if you are looking for a specific outcome then 
look to somebody who has that outcome and ask them how they did it. That's a really great way to succeed in life. And in science, if you go on and get a graduate degree, you absolutely need a mentor, which is your advisor. If you haven't listened to the episode about what graduate school is really like, I talk in depth about this. And it's really not like school, like undergrad, where you're taking a lot of classes and taking tests, but you're really learning from someone with the support of them and your other committee members. So your advisor, aka your mentor, is huge in this field. Okay, let me just give you an example of how mentors have really helped me. So I mentioned in the intro that I accidentally got a personal trainer. I have struggled with weight my entire life. I have never been like like extremely incredibly overweight, but I've always had, I would say, like 30 to 40 pounds. And I joined a gym. I was looking to lose weight and I joined a gym. And I, so let me give you a backstory. When I was in my 20s, early 20s, I joined a gym in Buffalo, New York, where I grew up. And as part of the gym membership, they had this free service where you meet with a trainer and you check in every six weeks. So they do your measurements and they give you a program. And that was free, it was included. So that's what I thought this consultation was at this new gym that I joined. So I went and I had this consultation. I thought it was, you know, like the measurements and everything and we would get started. And I would see them in like six months. But of course I learned at the end of it that it was something that you had to pay for. But honestly, I was hooked because in those 30 minutes, I felt better than I had in a long time. And it actually wasn't about my weight. It wasn't because, you know, obviously I'm not going to see any differences in, in that much of a time frame. But what really helped me was they understood my body really well. And I had slipped discs in graduate school. Side note. If you work in an office, if you're at your computer all the time, don't hunch over. That's how I slipped my desks. I was hunched over at a laptop. So you don't have to like move furniture and be like, you know, like doing all these weird <laughs> body positions. I don't know. I can't think of anything else besides moving furniture. But I just was, I just got slipped disks from being hunched over. So I had been going to physical therapy, I would say at least once a month, but I felt so much better just after this visit from this one personal trainer who knew my body, knew exactly where to strengthen it to help me with my back issues. So I, I paid for a personal trainer and I still have a personal trainer. I switched because the other one um, got a different job, but I mentioned before I'd struggled with weight my whole life and for the first time in my life, I've been able to lose weight and maintain the weight loss. So that's a difference that a really great mentor can do for you. They can customize programs. They can teach you. You have the accountability from them. You have the support from them. It's somebody looking over you and helping you with each step of the way. So that's why I think mentorship is so important. And as I mentioned in science, you really can't avoid it. If you are an undergrad, what you'll want to do is volunteer in a lab or get some experience, some sort of work experience at an institution like a museum, a zoo, something like that. Most likely you'll have to volunteer and you're going to look for mentors at those institutions to help you in this process. 
my mentors early on helped me so much because there was just like no information out there about how to become a wildlife biologist. So anytime that I got a job, I I would literally ask everyone, everyone who was in this field, like their path to becoming a wildlife biologist because there was there's like virtually nothing online. And that's a big reason why I do what I do today because there is so little information online and really you need mentors to not just navigate through this process let alone make you excel at it so that's really what I strive to do in my career right now and with this podcast and all the free materials that I create for you guys okay so let's let's go in to talking about what you should look for in a mentor so first I'm going to go through and talk about that And then at the end, I am going to talk about how you yourself can be a good mentor. And even if you're not in in the stage to become a mentor or in a mentorship right now, this is good to listen to because when you're there, you'll know how to set the stage. And a lot of these will obviously be the flip side of what to look for in a good mentor. So it'll be a lot shorter because I'm not just going to repeat everything and say the opposite. But I just do, I do want to emphasize a couple of points. Okay. So what should you look for in a mentor? This one you might not like. A lot of people are scared of it. But trust me, this is what I believe the most important thing. And it's kind of twofold because I I couldn't really split these up. I felt like they they kind of complemented each other. But honestly, you're going to want someone who is critical So somebody who sees your flaws, like I mentioned with my personal trainer, they knew exactly where the weak areas of my body were. By watching me do the exercises, they could see where my muscles got fatigued, what need to be strengthened, and and helping to identify those areas so that I could get stronger and support my back in the way that it needed to be supported. So... So you want somebody who is critical, they are able to identify your weak spots, and they're going to be honest with you. I think that is so, so important. So in science, unfortunately, a lot of times this can come across as mean. Scientists, they go through, I think... I think what happens to us is we go through so much rejection, so much criticism. So we apply for grants. We apply or we submit our papers into publications. We, you know, apply to get into graduate school. We apply for jobs. There's so many rejections and so many different forms of critical feedback that I think at a certain point you just get tired of trying to be nice and you just or you just don't have as much time so you just get straight to the point and I think you develop such a thick skin as a scientist I know this definitely happened with me that you forget how sensitive people can be in the beginning and how personally they can take this so if you're new you might not want a mentor who's really honest and critical because it might come across as mean but trust me this is the absolute best thing for you and if I'm Obviously, a good mentor is somebody who can deliver that in a way that is that is nicer, that's not mean. But even if it is in a nice way, it can be tough to take on all that feedback at once. So for example, in my last lab, we would have anyone who was giving like a poster presentation or a talk practice. 
And some people, this is like their first posters or first talks. And at the museum, we were really passionate about science communication. We wanted to do it really well. So we had a lot more knowledge about it and we were very critical about it. When you give that practice talk, that practice poster, it can be really overwhelming to receive all of those comments. And even if it's delivered in a, in a nice way, like, oh, you should consider doing this instead of this. When you get like 20, 30, 50 comments, that can be a lot and it can really take a toll at your ego. So if you're having, if you're struggling with that, I highly recommend you read my blog post. There's one on rejection. There's one on imposter syndrome. And there's a whole series of YouTube videos on imposter syndrome that will really help you. It's really important to separate yourself from the negative feedback that you're going to get. And honestly, it's not even really, it's not even negative. It's, it's again, just think about it like, like like the gym coach, like the personal trainer, you don't have to take it personally. I slip my discs, so I know that there are certain parts of my body where my muscles are weak, and when my personal trainer points that out and says we need to strengthen those areas of my body, I don't I don't take it personally. I'm like, okay, well that's the areas that I need to work on, and we're gonna I'm gonna do exercises that he tells me to do to strengthen those parts of your my body. I don't have like some sort of like personal attachment to it. I don't tie it to my self-identity. So it's really important that we learn how to do that with work too. Because, and I know this is hard because we care so much about our research. We don't go in this for the money. We totally go in it because we love it. We're so passionate about it. A lot of us really care about conservation and the environment and that's why we do it. So it's really hard to separate yourself from it, but it is your job. It's your job. It's not you. So you want somebody who's honest. Ideally, you want somebody who can deliver their feedback in a kind way. But honestly, blunt is the best. And it hurts or can hurt in the moment, but it ends up being really great advice. And I have several examples of this. So on my committee, one of my committee members, he just was incredibly blunt But he was the person that helped me the most. He just directly told me like what was wrong, what I need to work on. And yeah, it was scary. It was intimidating. But looking back and even like towards the end of my PhD before I defended, I admired him so much. And I really appreciated that honesty because I had worked with other professors who sugarcoated things or constantly told me I was doing a really good job. And then when push came to shove and they had to tell me some reality of things that there there, obviously I did have deficits. I, I did have struggles and there was a point where I had to be told that and it came as a shock. And honestly, that was kind of more hurtful because it was like, wait a minute, like I thought I was doing okay this whole time and then all of a sudden I'm not. So I really appreciated that honesty that I got from from the committee members who were really direct with me. And just giving another example of like how hard this can be to take sometimes. One time I was giving a presentation, this was in my postdoc, and I worked with somebody who was particularly blunt and critical. It was honestly like like to the point where it could be funny. 
And I had my PhD at this point. So I think I was more, or I was more confident that if this would have happened to me in my graduate school experience, maybe I would have been devastated. But I gave this presentation and it was an explored, it was a presentation of, of data that I started analyzing and it was exploratory. So it went into some weird directions of data analysis that I wasn't necessarily going to go. I, I think I presented too much information. And again, just like digging into the data and like trying to, you know, show them the patterns of different things so that we could talk about it and they could help me move forward. And at the end, he was just like, don't do that. Don't do that ever again. Don't ever do that. And honestly, it made me laugh. I mean, I didn't laugh in front of him. I took, I well, actually, I think I did smile, and I was like, "Yeah, okay." And I and I I did, you know, say to him, "Well, I was trying to like do more in depth, and I know not to do that in a formal presentation." I think that's what he thought that I was going to do that, like in a formal scientific conference or something. And I was like, "No, you know, I I just was did that here just to explore options and just to you know flesh out the patterns for you guys." So, so yeah, and he was just telling me from like an honest and, and good place, just giving me advice and I could have taken that so wrong or I could, yeah, I could have taken that like so personally, I could have been devastated by it, but at that point I just felt it was funny. Another instant, instant, instance, yeah, instance, <laughs> I was trying to say instance, instance and incidents. Another in another let's say situation, <laughs> I was giving a poster presentation. I think this was my very first poster presentation, and I am very artistic. I really loved art, so like doing a poster was like so much fun for me. I thought my poster was so beautiful. I loved my project. I thought I had the coolest project in the world, but I didn't have any data. It took me a while to get collect data, so I was really. I, I went my third year of my my PhD. So I really was um, just talking about what I was going to do and the anticipated results. And this one professor who studied a very similar thing as, as I was proposing to do came up to my pro- poster and he was like, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. And then he was like, well, what are you going to do if none of it works? And I was just like, I don't know. I didn't say anything. I was just caught so off guard and I just felt so stupid. I I felt I felt dumb for not having an answer. I felt dumb for not having thought about it and I kind of just panicked. And I think he could see the panic in my face and he kind he he helped me talk me through it and his thinking behind it and he was like, "You know, just that things in the field don't always go as planned." And you really need a plan B. So what's going to be your plan B? Or I think, no, he said, actually, if if you, if you everything goes wrong or you can't, I don't know, I can't remember, but something like you can't collect any of the data that you want to, what are you going to do? And after that poster session, I went out and I called my boyfriend at the time and I cried on the phone to him. I was devastated. I was. I said, I can't be a scientist. I'm not cut out for this. I can't do this. But looking at it from the perspective of the professor, and even later on, as from the perspective of myself, 
he actually really helped me. And even before I graduated, because that was honestly, that was good mentorship because he was preparing me for, for the worst. And that's what happens in science. Science never goes according to plan. So you do need a plan B. You need a plan C. You need a plan D. You need to think in that way and he was teaching me to think like a scientist so it was hard to take in the moment but it really helped me out later on another thing that you want to look for or yeah you want to look for this as not being a good mentor and it goes along with this idea of being honest and critical really honest but you want to pay attention if the per- the person you're looking to be your mentor talks about other people behind their back. Because if they do this obsessively, if they do this consistently, that means that they are talking about you behind your back. And I guess if they're honest, it's, well, it's not a very professional thing to do. But if they're honest, then I guess they'll be saying that to you, to your face. But in my experience, I've found that people who do this talk behind your back and they don't say it to your face. And this has happened to me in work situations where I had to find out that I like did something wrong. Like I left a lab space messy through my coworkers rather than the person coming directly to talk to me about it. So honesty is always the best policy. And for me, that's a red flag working with somebody is if they are talking bad about other people. It's just a really unprofessional thing to do. Okay, this next one is probably one that you wouldn't expect And it's something that I really learned from my postdoc is to look for people who are confident. And I was actually in a talk the other day. I was giving a talk and somebody asked a question about imposter syndrome and how I overcame imposter syndrome. And I did actively work on myself a lot. But really, my imposter syndrome started shedding in my postdoc a lot because I worked with really confident people. I had two fantastic mentors and they just were, again, like just so confident what they did. They knew they were just good scientists. They knew they were doing cool research. And it wasn't in an egotistical way. It was just really that they they loved what they did and, and they thought it was it was really cool and they didn't they didn't doubt themselves. They didn't second guess themselves. I mean, sure, they recognize they have flaws and weak spots, but they didn't exude this air of insecurity. So that's another thing to look for in a good mentor is somebody who has a calm, confident disposition because It's all about like the energy you give off. And if you're around somebody who's stressed, who's, you know, worried about finding the next grant, worried about how they're going to fund their lab, this stress and um, frantic energy rubs off on you. That's what happened to me in some of my prior work experiences. But if you are around people who are really confident, really calm, collected, then they then you will be like that too or I mean it's more likely you might 100% be like that but that's what I've found is that if they are really calm and confident in their work then I can be much more calm and confident in my work 
The next one is you want to look for somebody who levels you up. And they should do this without you having to ask, but you should also be asking too. It's a great thing to do is a mentee. And what I mean by leveling up is that they are looking for experiences for you or at least have it on their radar of how they can make you a better professional whatever in whatever you want to do. Some great examples of this for me were when I worked at Disney's Animal Kingdom. I had really great mentors there. I was super interested in elephants and my boss let me go with the elephant researcher to record vocalizations from crocodiles, ironically, or alligators, sorry, alligators, ironically, because the elephant work, vocalization work was finished, but he was working on a project with alligators. But even though I didn't get any experience working with elephants, I talked with him the whole entire car ride. That's something I talk about in my book, Getting a Job in Wildlife Biology, what it's like and what you need to know, the importance of long car rides. These are really great opportunities for you to talk to mentors. So I talked to him extensively about elephant research, and that really helped me learn learn a lot. She also, the director also invited me to participate in sea turtle monitoring on Vero Beach in Disney. This was an awesome opportunity. We got to see a leatherback sea turtle lay um, her eggs in a nest at night. We did this with night vision goggles so we wouldn't disturb the sea turtle at all. It was an incredible, incredible experience. So you want people to to be able to level you up and you can find out who those people are, like when you're interviewing people, decide on your advisor and stuff by asking them questions that will give you those answers. Like what kinds of experiences have you provided for former students or, you know, like what was it like going to conferences, things like that that will help you get that information. You can also ask past students as well. In Kenya, I worked with a professor who invited me to write papers. This was awesome. I got my first authorship doing this, and this really leveled me up. It really helped me become a great scientist. So again, I didn't ask for that experience, but he saw something in me, and he invited me to be a part of that. So mentors, good mentors will be inclusive. So this will be inclusive of opportunities and just also make you feel welcome, make you feel like you're part of the lab, part of the community. At conferences, they will introduce you to people. They will, you know, not not lead you around the whole entire way, but they will they will make networking happen for you. They'll make connections happen for you, but you should still do a lot on your own as well. But that, that's some things to look for for good mentors. Another thing that I've learned from my best mentors is that they are big thinkers. They think about science in this really big picture and they think creatively. This helps you in so many ways because when you're around these big thinkers, it pushes you to think bigger and it pushes you to think about how the little pieces all fit together. 
And this will help you in so many different careers. So it helps you with grants because then you can apply for bigger grants that ask bigger theoretical questions that have these different moving components in it. It just trains your brain to think differently by working around these people. It sets you up for a lot of jobs. There's a lot of jobs that once you advance in your in your career, you will become more managerial. You will become more, like I teach this in my, my course, you will be more working with the vision of the organization you're working with, working for. So you may start off as a scientist, but then as you progress up in the museum or the nonprofit or the zoo, you're going to be in meetings directing the vision of the zoo, putting your input there. You may be uh, the director of the science section of a certain nonprofit for a state, and you need to put together all the pieces. So Being with big thinkers allows you to think creatively. The big thinkers that I have been around, they also have unusual collaborations. They reach, they're very interdisciplinary. They reach across different departments. They they see creative solutions. So I, you don't want somebody who's just like straight and narrow and really focused. You want somebody who is, who is pushing the envelope. It really helps you become a better scientist. And I think it also makes science just so much more fun as well. The next thing in a mentor is you want a good blend of somebody who is hands-on and hands-off. If they are too much hands-on, if they are leading you too much, if they are involved in every single decision you make, then you're not going to learn. You're going to be leaning on them too much. And then when you're out on your own in the real world in a job, it'll be hard for you to make decisions. It'll be hard for you to know what to do. Also, this is just kind of annoying, honestly. Like you don't have any ownership of your project. You're constantly reporting to somebody. It's not really what a scientist is being about. Like you want you want somebody who will let you fail a little bit, let you struggle. So you want somebody who's a little bit more hands-off, but you don't want too hands-off. And I would say this is by far the most common thing that you see in advisors in graduate school. Most of them are incredibly hands-off. Like I've talked to students who had not, who did not speak to their professors for months. Like they they were out in the field and they didn't even communicate with a professor even through an email or something for months. And that was not uncommon. I've had I've talked to people who like just went to a field site and had kind of like no idea what they were doing. Their professors weren't weren't guiding them in that way. So you really want to find somebody who who is able to be hands-on when they need to be and hands-off as well to let you struggle, to let you solve your own problems, to let you learn how to learn on your own. That is such a huge part of science. So much of graduate school is really about solving problems on your own. When I graduated, I honestly felt like I could do any job in the world because I could teach myself how to do it. So so that that independence, that that confidence that, that you can do anything. Marie, not Marie Kondo, Marie Forleo has this book, Everything is Figure Outable. That's, that's how I felt, like I could figure out the answers. And then the last thing 
that you should look for in a mentor is somebody who is excited about what they do and excited about what you do. Like a lot of times people will talk about you need a mentor who's encouraging, who's supportive, but I feel like if they're interested in your project, they have confidence in you, they're excited by your project, they're excited by your results, I feel like you don't need this like external validation as much because it makes it fun and you're motivated to do it and you see the excitement in your project as well. And science, I mean, really should be fun. Again, we're not doing this for the money. We're doing this because we're passionate about it. So there there should be fun in it because we're doing this because we, we want to do this. We get some sort of satisfaction out of it. We get some sort of happiness out of it. So the best mentors that I've had, not only were like excited and passionate about their work, but they also brought fun into the lab. And this can happen in different ways. So for example, at Disney World, we had the opportunity to learn scuba diving together as, as, as a staff. And of course, that was optional because you had to pay for it. But we just were provided like fun opportunities like that if we wanted it. In the at the museum, working with Roland Kays, he is he loves science communication, so he's always like looking for fun technology to enhance science communication. So he would bring drones in. We would make fun videos. We would even do like fun events where we could get to know each other, learn science communication. I remember we did this science communication scavenger hunt, things like that. It really makes it fun and and exciting. Okay, so those were the major things that you should look for in a mentor, in my opinion. If you have other ones to add, let me know, and I will add them in subsequent episodes. I want to talk just now about how to be a good mentor. So it's going to be basically the flip side of all those different things. So with the honesty factor... You do want to remember to encourage your students. You want to deliver it in as positive way as possible. You want to try to point out the things that they're doing well. And this can be something that I forget too. Because as I mentioned, I get so excited about helping them with their talks. And I have so many great ideas to improve their talks that I kind of forget to say like, oh, you did a really great job doing it. So make sure that you're saying that and, and, and that they're putting themselves out there. It's, it's hard to do this. It's hard to put yourself out there. So supporting them in that way and making them feel good about that before you lay on all the good, honest, and critical feedback. To level your, your students up, make sure that you know what they're interested in. So when you are aware of such opportunities, you can give them to their students. So in last episode or two episodes ago, I can't remember, for talking about getting your year off right, I talk about sitting down with your mentor or your boss and going over expectations. When you first start working with a student, it's a really good idea to do this, but also just have a meeting about like, like what, what do they want to eventually do with their life. Say they are, you know, like how I was, I was really interested in working with elephants and at the, at the animal kingdom, I didn't work directly with them. But when there are experiences to work with 
anything related to elephant research, I was given that opportunity because my mentors really wanted the best for me. So do the same thing for your students. If there's scholarship opportunities, grant opportunities, if you just see job postings or volunteering opportunities that that might be interested in, that they might be interested in. I always invite students to co-author with me if they show interest and drive. That's a really great opportunity. I was given that opportunity, so I like to pay it forward and give that back to the student. But again, not just any student. They have to show drive. They have to show initiative. And, and it has to be something that they earn. I just, I just don't hand it over to them. Set a good example. Again, it's all about energy. If you are calm and collected, if you're excited about your research, if you are happy about your work, if you're having fun doing it, then most likely your students will have fun as well and they will be more calm and confident in themselves. And if you believe in them and relay that information to them, they will believe in themselves as well. With the too much, too little mentoring, hands-on, hands-off, you want to let them flounder a little bit because you want them to fail. You want them to figure it out. So much of graduate school, even if you are a mentor, you're not going to know the answers, so they're going to have to figure out. But you don't want to let them struggle for too long, so maybe set up weekly meetings or targets for results, and then once you get those results, help them navigate the next step. That's really important. So you want to have those checks in there. You don't want to let them flounder too much. And then also teach them how to find the answers. They're not necessarily going to know how to do it. You're not going to know how to do it, but you can at least help them know how to move forward when they're struggling. And the last one is have fun. So if you can have fun, if you can be lighthearted, if you can enjoy your work, then your students will too. And when you have fun, you do a better job. You, you're more passionate about your work and your enthusiasm and passion is reflected in your science as well. Thanks guys so much for watching. If you have more tips on how to be a good mentor or what to look for in a mentor, I would love to hear from you. I hope you guys have an amazing day. Be kind to animals and be kind to each other. Be kind to your mentors. Be kind to your mentees. Bye.